My name is Megan Fitzmartin. I am a writer, and I am The Hustle. Hello, and welcome to episode 84 of the Hollywood Hustle podcast, a weekly show inspiring artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards success. Hello, it is I, Daniel Tuttle, your host, and I am back on The Hustle. I know you heard my voice last time, but Michael is knee-deep in final rehearsals and performances, so here I am on the intro, back-to-back. Now, we hope you've had a great week and that you enjoyed our most recent hustle. It was really nice in that hustle to get to kind of vent my frustrations regarding my job hunt, especially to someone as supportive as Michael. Uh, It really, really helped uh, to kind of get that off my chest, and he had some really great things to say in response. Uh, I am definitely in a better space right now, and I appreciate all the messages that we received from you guys uh, sharing your empathy for the job hustle that I am on right now. Uh, Now, before we get to this fantastic interview, we want to remind you that we have a giveaway happening right now. It was supposed to end this week week, but we are going to extend it one more week just for you guys. So thanks to our former guest, Brandon Collymore, aka Brandon Does Everything, and from Vibe House, we are offering one person a chance to win a shirt of their choice from Vibe. There are two ways to enter. One, you can leave us a review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. The other way to enter is to write a post on Twitter uh, about Brandon's episode or about Hollywood Hustle Podcast or even about Vibe and tag us, uh, LA Hustlecast and Vibe, official Vibe, V-Y-B-E, followed by an underscore. Uh, tag both of us in it and we will be enter you into the contest. So you can enter twice, you can enter once, however you want to do it. And we will pick a winner on April 30th. So April 30th is when you have, uh, have to get everything done to be entered. Now, we also want to know what episodes you're listening to of this show. Uh, new ones, old ones, uh, side hustles, interviews, we want to know. And the best way to do that is to take a screenshot of you listening to the show and posting it on your IG stories or in your feed or even on Twitter. Twitter and tagging us. We want to see it and we want to share that your excitement and what you're learning and what you're gaining from these episodes with people. So take a screenshot, tag us in an IG story or a Twitter feed uh, post and let us know you're listening, what you're listening and why you're listening and what you're getting from it and how it's inspiring you. Uh, now, if you're enjoying the show, even if you're not interested in the giveaway, we'd still if you could love if you could go and rate us and comment us on uh, the Apple Podcast uh, app or on iTunes. Also, following us on Spotify or favoring us, favoriting us on Anchor is also a huge way to assist us and support the show. Now, if you have any questions about the show or a topic we discuss with our guests, you can always reach us via email at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Now, we've taken care of all of that. Let's get ready for the interview. Some of the hardest positions to get your foot in the door of in this town is in production and writer's offices. Writer's assistants, writer's PA, show owner assistant, and more are all incredibly difficult jobs to find due to the high demand. But they can also be the most rewarding ones once you find yourself with that opportunity. But what do they do? What are their jobs? Is it actually beneficial? Today, we begin finding out as we interview Megan Fitzmartin, who currently is the assistant to Andrew Dabb, the showrunner of the long-running CW show, Supernatural. Megan has had some fantastic opportunities as an entertainment professional and as a writer-slash-creator. Her most recent project, Red Rhino Podcast, is a superhero audio drama and is fantastic and so well put together. 
We talk with Megan about her journey from Celebration Florida to Los Angeles. We talk about how she began to find a support system and how beneficial that support system has been in her career. Megan shares her time working for WB, especially on the YouTube show DC Superhero Girls, and how that and taking a risk led to her current position as the showrunner's assistant on Supernatural, which has also led to her writing her first produced script of network television. Megan shares some amazing advice and insight into this incredibly competitive position. One of my goals is to work in a writer's room, and being a showrunner's showrunner's assistant would be huge. So getting to meet Megan and hear her story and about her job was a dream. Now, I'm done talking, finally. Please enjoy this fantastic conversation with Supernatural's Megan Fitzmartin. Let the hustle begin. But, well, welcome to Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Uh, we are here, obviously, with Michael Lutheran. Michael, how you doing, buddy? Hello, I am great. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Absolutely. What's the wind right now? What's the wind? <laughs> you sound like a like it's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. The <laughs> oh, wind. the wind is uh, about uh, two the degrees. Chill it's like a gusty thirty-five, and there is zero wind chill happening today. <laughs> and guys, today with us we have. A podcaster, showrunner, assistant, writer, uh, all around amazing person. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Megan Fitzmartin. Hi, Thanks. Megan. Hi, that was such a nice introduction. <laughs> I was telling him, like, I wish he was just walking around with me. So whenever uh, I have to introduce myself, seriously, to him, and he can do it. <laughs> do you want to just, like, introduce oh, me to every single person I know? I, I grew up watching wrestling. And so, you know, you have the, the announcers and, you know, boxing, you have, like, the big. So I think that's where it comes from, is just like, I would want to be introduced that way in, like, in a hyped up, like, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, and see, I grew up in the royal court, so anytime <laughs> someone entered the room, <laughs> they listed my title. Mr. Circumstance Situation. Uh, Michael Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, thank you so much for being here. Nice, uh, for you me. are the showrunner assistant for the showrunner of Supernatural. Correct. Uh, you are a writer. You were a winner of the Big Break Contest uh, Final Draft. You have a podcast out called Wine and Comics, as well as a podcast called Red Rhino Podcast, uh, which is about a, a superhero dra- audio drama, um, which is very good. Oh, uh, fantastic. So you're from Celebration, Florida. I sure correct? am. Um, so... What you know? What was it like, just real quick, growing up there, and what was the uh, uh, and uh, cause for? Hey, I'm I'm leaving Florida and going all the way across the U.S. Yeah, to L.A. So my, I guess for lack of a better term, logline for my growing up experience was that I was the emo kid in the happiest place on earth. Oh, <laughs> um, with, with the with the rat disguised as a mouse. Yes, exactly. The rat that ran the town. Uh, he um. I did not work for Disney uh, at the time, and I, I'm very grateful for that because I still very much love Disney, and I sure. love going to Disneyland. It's it's cheaper than flying home if I get uh, if I get a little bit uh, homesick. It's just it's like a piece of home. In exactly, the, in the, exactly. In, or in, it's cheaper yeah. than, than yeah. having to fly home and go to Disney World. Is it though? <laughs> Yes. Oh, okay. With the flight and Disney oh, World together. Yeah. Oh, yes. Those Disney two World. things yes, wrapped together. Yes. yes. Uh, and so I. And that the thing, the the misnomer within that, my mother was always like, "Do you not like living here?" And I was like, "I was, I'm a teenager. I don't like living anywhere. It wouldn't matter." Uh, and so it was very. I was explaining to to somebody yesterday about celebration, and it was just a very, very idealistic town. It was a very Stepford meets Pleasantville meets the Truman Show type place to live and grow up. Um, and I didn't realize that that was a bizarre thing until I left. Uh, but it was, it, 
I think was very formative. I learned a lot and I, I worked with a, a bunch of kids and actually my, um, my life plan at the time was that I was going to be a youth pastor. So I went to school to be a youth pastor. My degree is actually in church ministries. So if you're worried that you don't have the right major for whatever it is you want to do later in life, that's fine. <laughs> don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about um, it. Yes. And so I went to school to be a youth pastor and realized quickly that I did not get along with anybody in my major, but I got along mostly with my communication friends. I got an accidental communication minor because I took so many communication classes and I realized that the thing that I love most and the thing that I always want is to tell teenagers that they're loved. That's my driving purpose. That's a, that's a beautiful purpose. Thank you. That's a beautiful um, purpose. I, I, that's all that I want to do in life. And so I was realizing that as I was working with, with my teenagers and, and uh, talking to them and asking them, like, you know, the things that you do, you ask them, well, how was your day? How was your life? How was school? And they, you, the response that you generally get is fine. Because they don't have a language to kind of express what they're thinking or feeling. But then I would say, you know, did you read this YA book? Did you watch this TV show? Like, I watched everything and I still do watch everything on CW. And so my immediate reaction would always be, well, did you see the show? Like, have you, how do you think, what do you think about that? And it was like I had given them a language to explain how they were feeling. And out of that, I realized, you know, for better or worse, television is kind of raising this the next generations and the best way for me to express the the love and the the feeling that I have in my heart for teenagers that they they also find themselves worthy of love is to go into those stories and tell them the stories about how great they are and how much they they are they mean to this world wow that's amazing so I love that now did you move here by yourself or were you did you move with uh, somebody else a friend so I when I was planning on moving here I had kind of talked about it too. I, I had gone to this, this all girl camp for years. I think I'd gone there for about 17 years and I went there with a, uh, well, I met, met some of my favorite people in this world. Some, some people who are like my sisters and one of them, she, she, I told her about me moving to Los Angeles and we were kind of joking. I was like, Oh, you should come with me. And then she thought about it and thought about it. And she's not, she right now is working in publishing in New York her name is Tony and I love her very much. Shout she, out Tony. Yeah. Um, she was uh she was like, oh, this sounds like a great adventure. And so we made one of our very stupid choices and we were like, great, we're gonna just travel across across the country and <laughs> live in LA, I guess. And I think that's like 60% of the conversations about moving to LA. It's like, what you have you to do. You want to go to LA? Let's, how about tomorrow? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Let's just get in the car. I think that that's kind of how it has to be. I think that if you think too much about it, and I, I you know, I, I knew a bunch of people back in Florida who would constantly talk about, you know, I, I really want to move to Los Angeles. I really want to move to Los Angeles. Just do it, friend. You're never going to have enough money. It's never going to be the right time. You just have to set, do Set the, the plan. Thing. Put it yeah. in motion, whatever you need to make it happen. Right. And go. Barrel through. It's a mentality, right? Oh, I Because I, I realized that I had to move in May of 2011. And I didn't move until end of September 2011. So there was still a process. It wasn't like the next day I left. I, I had nannied for years and years. And I wanted to have like one last week with my girls before I left. And so it was very important but it still felt like a very surprise, like, 
we're just going to do it. Cause you have to, it's that thing that you're talking about where you just have to barrel through, which is like, it still sounds stupid to probably anybody else, but you just have to do it. And it, it doesn't matter what the like length of time or period is, but there's never going to be like, if you're waiting for a perfect time, that, that's the big thing. There's never going to be a perfect time. It's oh, yeah. exactly. always going to hurt to say goodbye to the people that you love. Yes. Right. But you just got to do you it. Got, you just you just have set to the, set, tear off the bandit. Yeah. Go. Set the hard goal. And go by this time. I'm going to be in LA, and just, I mean, blinders. So, so when you moved here, was the goal to be a writer, or did you know kind of what you wanted to 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 uh, pursue when you got here? Yes, I think that. So here's the thing: I don't remember much of my first year in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I get that. It's there's the survival mentality that takes over. That I was just very focused on. I'd never lived in another state before. I had never lived so far away. And I like, even I went to college about an hour away from my home, from where I grew up. And so it was a very interesting year of establishing roots and, and working through some things in my own life that I had maybe not addressed because it's very easy to not address certain things when you are at home and doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so that first year, I very much was grateful for a specific goal, which was, I guess I want to write for TV. And I didn't really know much more beyond that. I knew kind of the steps that you sort of take, which is apply to fellowships and apply to like different contests and just write. I wrote a lot. I read a lot and kept those, like you were talking about blinders. My version for it, what I call it is barreling. I just kind of barreled through that first year without really looking up and that I think was very necessary and beneficial for me I don't know if it'd be the same way for everybody else but I I I was a nanny for a year here oh so you didn't even like so you were applying for certain fellowships and things but you were really just like get a job just learn how to live in a new state in a new city figure out where to get my groceries figure out where I wanted to go to church figure out where my friends were going to be yeah and because it was a completely new life and having to build from the ground up with people who I knew and loved, but were also trying to figure that out as well. And it, it was very necessary for me to have the, the main heading of writer, but I had no idea. Like now I have a better idea of what that looks like. And I can kind of say, Oh, well, I want to write for television in this particular capacity with these particular things that like, this is what I want it to look like at the time. I had no clue. Writing for television is very mystifying to a lot of people who do not live here in Los Angeles. And you don't realize that until you you move to Los Angeles and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get here. I don't know. I didn't have any quote unquote industry contacts. That wasn't a thing in my life. I didn't move here with an alumni that could give me any sort of leg up on it. And so I very much had the overall guidelining premise of wanting to write for television, but no real clue of what that looked like and who to ask about that or who to talk to. Talking about it to anybody from home and, and to my, like specifically to my parents' credit, they constantly will try and understand. Same. And it's, it's there's just yep. such a difference. And, I, and And now I'm to the point, unfortunately, where I'm, almost removed from things that people don't know 
And so I love questions. I love when anybody asks me a question because well, then welcome I'm like, to our podcast. Hell good. <laughs> uh, but I just I'm I when I'm there, I'll say something and my I won't even think that it's not in the von- like vernacular or vocabulary. Speak right. Yeah. I won't realize that it's industry speak until my mom or my dad or my siblings will say, I don't know what that means. And I'll be like, oh, that's right. That's I have a just- general tomorrow. I don't know what that is. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's I also had a having generals like, and I went on this meeting. You're with meeting this with a general? And- yeah. Right. <laughs> but you also have the strength of like, and I'm currently getting this where, oh, you know, you. Yeah, you were used to think about becoming a teacher, right? Like, it's not too late. You could start going back to school for that. <laughs> and then having the wherewithal to be like, I, I hear you, but that's not helping me right. right now. Like, this is this is what I'm down here to do, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it well. Mm-hmm. So thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> doing it, doing it, doing it. But well. also to speak on the topic where you didn't know that you specifically wanted to write for television when you came down here, I think this city really defines what you want to do the longer that you stay in a way, like yes. you come down here with this general premise of like, I want to be a writer, but what do you specifically want to write? What will you do? It all is shaped by your experiences of as the longer you live and work in this town. Absolutely. And I think that I've always been that way. Whenever I went to college, I had this very general sense of what I wanted to do casually. And then as the years progressed, that my purpose in life would constantly narrow and narrow in a way that even now writing for television I want to write specifically for and about teenagers which is part of what I did go to college for which was to communicate and be with youths so I I do subscribe to this belief that the older that you get the more if you are paying attention to yourself and the more that you you take the time to kind of process and 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 look at what you are doing and look at what gives you joy that you kind of can narrow it and then narrow it and narrow those functions mm-hmm. to be more specific. Right. And, you know, that could lead you to writing movies that could lead you to doing podcasts. I, the reason that I got into a love for podcasts is because I grew up listening to an audio drama as a kid. And that was really beneficial and impactful for me because it, I have a whole. Can I ask spiel. what audio drama? Yes. What audio drama was that you? Oh, I listened to Adventures in Odyssey, which oh, is a okay. focus on the family show, um, which there's a lot of stuff around that particular organization, which I totally understand. But the show is one of the best produced pieces of Christian media, which is that doesn't exist normally. If you're talking about Christian media, everyone's like, oh, so they don't make things well. And I, you're, yes, correct. They don't. Um, but this was a really well-made piece of material that had that was the most inclusive thing that I had that I had experienced in my very sheltered life because it included people that did not have faith and it included people from like different walks of life that I that I found really interesting and I could kind of process in a way that for for me audio drama is very important because it creates a space to build your imagination Mm -hmm. while also kind of helping make abstract concepts a reality So this is a thing that I will constantly talk about with audio drama where I find it very important. If I say, imagine a tree, we will all imagine three different trees because we have a different view of what that tree looks like, but we are still making an abstract concept of this, me saying, imagine a tree, a concrete thing. And so for kids, especially growing up, those abstract concepts are things like friendship or love. And so when you are getting used to imagining these concrete things like a tree or like imagine this person, you are already you are creating the ability to concretely understand and imagine these concepts. So then when you get into the bigger concepts of like, you know, 
friendship, you have a better understanding of how to under, like fully realize that concept rather than I think what kids these kids these days, youths of America now are having an issue with, which is, you know, not having their imagination stretched as much and not having the like the language to express that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, I want to go, Michael, you said something a little bit ago about like this place helps you discover yeah. kind of what you want. And I think that's a big thing is, is, you know, we've talked about here and I think you definitely is being open to opportunities that may not be in line with what you see yourself doing. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm a big believer, um, not to get too like spiritual or you know, too. I have talked about church numerous times. I feel that we are all part of the hustle, but I feel feel like there is something that we are all meant to be a part of or meant to do it, whether that's uh, a mission that we discover as we go, like helping children sure, or or more more general running the country and universal. Yeah. Yeah. Something huge. But like you come here and I think you discover what your, who you are as a talent who you are as a skill in a way, not that your skill is who you are, but you come here. Like I came here with acting and writing in mind and really found like, I'm, I don't know. I I started leaning more towards writing and I found I was better at writing probably than I am at acting. Not that I think I'm terrible, but I'm not as good. And I think, you know, we had a guy on here named Jess Trice who came here to learn to act or he came here to act, not learn to act, came here to act. And he ended up being a casting director, a casting producer for several years. And that's kind of he found love doing that. And so I think that's part of moving here is being open to opportunities to saying yes to things you may not think Oh, I may not enjoy it. You may. But then on the reverse of that, it's also having the wherewithal to understand when it's not working for you. Because Jazz was a reality casting director and he fell out of love for it. And now he's in training to become a podiatrist. Oh, wow. You know, which like through going through all of that discovery and and working on it, like he he narrowed in and like asking what makes me happier? What where what is it specifically that I really like to do? And so. Sometimes part of the hustle is like figuring out, wow, maybe this isn't what I'm meant to do. Sometimes it is to step away. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is just as valid. I think that we have a tendency here to sometimes specifically in L.A. and specifically in creative industries to not value that, which is silly because that is just as valid. That is just a a major part of the journey because the journey is not you are not valid because you are creative. That's not how that works. You are valid because you are a human being and that the creative aspect or whatever it is that you, you choose to do in the continuation of your journey is part of what makes you, you, but that is not the end all be all. And I think that that's something that we have a tendency to do in, in Los Angeles is to value people specifically for the jobs that they do Mm -hmm. rather than, or or their expectations of where you think they're going to go versus just who they are well, i think that also well i would like to say though as a podiatrist though he's still going to be working with casts uh, no <laughs> guys it's guys that's that's this, incorrect. this, this, this <laughs> is the end of hollywood hustle podcast <laughs> signing you did off it. you nailed it signing <laughs> off it's done this now is, I, I was waiting for that moment and that moment particularly what um, a good what a good break thank you what a good thank break i know uh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's I so get it. bone fracture feet <laughs> I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. All right, Harry, we don't have much time. I've got this, Hermione. Oi, muggles, we've got a show going on here. Will you stop eating, Ron? Sorry about that. Hi, I'm Harry Potter, 
you know, the chosen one. What he meant to say is that for three weeks only, you have the chance to see Harry, Ron, and yours truly on stage once again. We're making magic at the Studio Stage Theatre in Hollywood, California in 19 years later, from April 18th through May 5th. You can get tickets now at mwtheatre.org. And that's theatre with an R-E. Or on the 19 Years Later Facebook page. Can't wait to see you there. Mischief Managed! So you moved to L.A. Um, how did you kind of get your life in in order? And where was your, you know, what was your first steps to, to writing and, and, and beginning that process? Man, I... As much as you can remember. Right. <laughs> Once again, don't remember a lot of that first year. I had always written. I had always told stories. And I, before I moved out here, I started to try and write and started to try and, like, figure out what it was I'd do. I, I had taken a couple of... of script writing classes in the uh in at the college that I went to um mostly because one of the script writing classes was to write for radio and television and I was like oh radio great and it was not radio and it was only television so I was like okay well fine but I like this thing too so it's okay um <laughs> so and- one of it fine 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 <laughs> I'm fine we're fine everything's fine we're fine and so I started writing and I started to like try and figure out I I, I wanted to learn everything that I could this was part of the barreling phase, right? It was just putting my head down and reading all of the scripts that I could read and reading all of the pilots that I could read and, and write as much as I could. And a lot of it was bad. <laughs> I started as it, as it, as it, as it should. Yes. Uh, I looked into classes and I think that might have been one of, it, it wasn't a job thing so much as it was a classes thing. I found this really great screenwriting class. It's a class that still is around today. It's called script anatomy. So shout out to that. Uh, with, um, with, with some writers for television and it was Tanya is the teacher and she's amazing. She's just one of the, the best humans and also very, very brilliant in terms of writing for television. And she, her, her goal is, and she's told, she said this numerous times is to demystify the writing, the writing process in the writer's room. And I love that. I love that about her. And not only did I learn a lot about writing for television, the, the tips and tricks and the ins and outs, I also learned how to start building a community of writers, which was, and still to this day, is one of the most influential communities that I have here. They are amazing humans and they are constantly pushing me and constantly uh, inspirational driving voice, voices in my life. And I think that that was really a huge beneficial factor in in keeping me writing and growing me because otherwise I don't think that I would have gotten better. I think that I, I know where I could have capped out. And they, the, it was a, it was a bunch of women who to this day, like they're, they're doing great things. There was a, there, it was my very first writers group. There were three of us and it, to this day, I've looked back with one of the dearest fondest memories of being just kind of the best writers group that I had that really helped me kind of understand oh I like these people and I like what I'm doing and I think I can do this and that I think was a really beneficial factor in terms of kind of getting my head on straight on top of just like figuring out what my life looked like here now and and figuring out how to step outside of getting a nanny job because a nanny job is what I knew and I, through a friend of a friend of a friend, got a job at a theatrical marketing company and I was there for two years. And that was a really good experience and a really beneficial and necessary experience. 
Uh, and then I jumped over to Warner Brothers, essentially, and, and started there. Now, I, I like you talked about how, like, when you mentioned your writers, you'd be like how they were great humans. And I think you mentioned a minute ago about, like, you know, not looking at someone as the skill, but looking at someone as a person. And I think one of the things, again, that is mentioned a lot is this idea when somebody says, how are you? The first thing as creatives, we say, or what are you, you know, how are you doing? The first thing as creatives, a lot of people go is, well, I'm working on this. And I'm working on this. I just had an audition. I just wrote this pilot. I'm pitching this week. And it's like, no, no. When people are like, no, 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 no. How are you not your work? And I think, you know, looking at people as human beings is not something, again, we push on ears. Don't look at people as stepping stones. Look at people as friends. Look at people as family. Because in LA, that's all you got. That's yeah. it. Even and if we're you have actual LA family, orphans. like, even if you have actual family in LA, there's a weird thing, and I think, Michael, you mentioned it with, like, the industry where it's, it's very enclosed. And you mentioned earlier where people don't understand the industry. People don't understand, like, just because you pitched something that you're going to be famous or that you're not going to be famous. Or just because you had a reoccurring role on a TV show means you made it. You're, you're in. You're in it. You're done. You're good. Or even just I had friends that were extras for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and to their friends and family back home. That's huge. That's huge. That's amazing. You're doing it. You're living your life. Whereas – here you feel this sense of of frustration because you know it's generally like one of the first jobs that you have out here and there's this this you you are dissatisfied as you i think that as you should be because you shouldn't be just satisfied doing doing extra work there's there's other things in life that you can do unless that is your goal in life is to be the best extra ever which (laughs) some people make their lives absolutely doing that and so but there's there's a there's a disconnecting factor of of not being able to relate to people back home who don't understand what this looks like. And so, yeah, you're right. Like that it builds a community and it builds a home here amongst the other creatives that you that you are existing in. And I think that that is something that I love about L.A. There's this it's just a bleeding heart. It's a bunch of desperate people wanting so desperately to do this beautiful thing. And there's good and bad things about that. But for the most part, everyone's kind of upfront about the good and bad of both. Yeah. And you you just have this sense of within that community. Yeah. Whenever people start talking about like networking, networking is always a big buzzy thing, especially outside of the industry. What are you doing this week? I'm networking. I'm networking. I'm going to meet a bunch of casting directors. Yeah. <laughs> and Speed it's, dating. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the thing that I've discovered about networking, and it's a, it's a weird thing, and it was I think the first year of living here, I was like, oh, this is networking. It's just having friends. It's just being friends with people and no real underlying factors, no real motive, like deep, sinister motivations. It's just like, oh, I really like you and I want all of the best success for you. Right. If this happens to help me, dope. But I, it also doesn't need to. You can also go somewhere else and like be a podiatrist or things yeah. like that. Like, I will not hold this against you, but now we are friends mm-hmm. and this is, this is all that I really care about is our friendship. And it's, it's important to have those personal connections with people and not just go like, Oh, that person can help me get a job. Right. It's, it's important to have those moments. That's of when like, it becomes gross. Of like, we're, we're not just talking about this all the time. We're actual friends who can joke around. We can go have coffee and talk about whatever is going on in our lives. I mean, me and Daniel, we try to make it a thing where, Every couple weeks or so, we will make schedule time to just hang out. Mm, That's yeah. not like, of course, we'll talk about podcasts. We'll talk about creative projects that we're interested in. But the primary focus, 
just his hang friendship out. Time. But yeah, yes. but hang he, out with his son or you yeah. know, go out and explore LA. Right. But even then when we hang out, there's also a moment like when we're doing this, there is a moment of like, how are you? Like, what is going on? Where are you at? And even with the show, we do random check-ins where I'll be like, how are you feeling personally about this show? That's great. Do you still feel connected to it? Are you still enjoying it? Because I want to make sure that we're both still in it and not just doing it because we feel like we have some some responsibility to the other person to keep it going or whatever. Um, I I love that you, you, you found this group and you made this connection of, of, of women to kind of carry you and kind of push you forward. And you said you got this job at WB. What was your first job there? My first job at WB uh, was a PA in the estimating department. That means production assistant. It does mean production assistant. Or personal assistant, depending on who you're It doesn't mean personal assistant. It's only production assistant. (laughs) And the estimating department. What is estimating, you ask? Happy to tell you. It is all about budgets. It's all about (laughs) the money of Warner Brothers Television. Uh, Warner Brothers TV has, I think at the moment, 50 shows. And at the time, it was 30 when I was there uh, in the estimating department. And basically, it was just me running around a lot making sure that contracts got signed and checks got delivered and it was very boring but <laughs> i learned a lot and i'm very great once again i'm very grateful for that time because i learned how the warner brothers lot works and i'm still on the warner brothers lot now and i know if we are having an issue on our show i know who to kind of talk to to say oh okay like what's going on here that we maybe need to talk through or deal with whereas before on our show i think that there was a little bit of a miscommunication in terms of well i don't know who who deals with this i don't know who necessarily works through this and yeah and now i'm able to be like oh well this is in the business affairs office so we have to talk to this person oh well this is in production television production so we should talk to our executive there so that i think has really helped me not only for our show but also understand just how most tv uh, most television works and most studios work. Now, was is, this a full time position? It was a full time position. So, yes. so when you got this forty hours a week, you're you're working at WB. Forty. Oh, sorry, fifty to seventy hours yeah. a week. You're working <laughs> at WB. Um, how did you balance and schedule between work that pays my bills and gets me, you know, gets me a little further ahead and teaches me, and I still want to write and I still want to learn about writing and I still want to take classes and I still want to meet with my group. How did you schedule? Like, what was your process? You know, or how are you, how do you stay organized? My friends make fun of me <laughs> that you have to schedule be the two weeks. <laughs> yeah, basically. My friends make fun of me. The, make, the, the Megan Fitz Martin story. <laughs> um, they joke that I have, you have to schedule about two weeks in advance with me, which is true. Um, I will often, I'm very particular about my schedule and I'm very particular about how packed it is. I'm very bad at taking time for myself. I'm very bad at resting. So those are things that I'm very much working on. But all that to say, I'm also very, like, I want to involve people in my life and I want to, like, schedule time with people. I very much love the people that I've worked very hard for the people that I have in my life. Not on a, like, I've learned to be your friend, but, like, <laughs> I've, I've... I've busted through the door. I've done it. <laughs> no, it, 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 like, you know, I've worked through my own personal demons and I've worked through a lot of bad relationships to be able to really value the good ones. And so that is a very, very important thing to kind of celebrate. And so I very much want to, like, continue celebrating those moments. And within that, it means that I am very, very specific about my schedule. And I am very, very intense about making sure that I am able to schedule um, not so much writing because writing, I know writing, I have figured out my own like personal way of doing it. 
Um, I know when works for me. I know about what, when I can like schedule work things and, and writing things. And, um, a lot of, a lot of jobs in the industry, specifically on the writer side of things, encourage you because there's some downtime in general to continue to work on your stuff. So I'm able to do, do that, which is really great. Um, and so a lot of the time my, my free time is more so spent, um, fostering those relationships and making sure that I foster my own version of self-care. And also like, I've been trying to get, you know, audio drama stuff off the ground. So I'm, I'm doing a couple of different panels at different comic cons and things like that. I think as a creative in Los Angeles, you're always, you, it's, it's easy to feel always on because when you're working your regular job, then you got your creative pursuits and stuff. I kind of suffer the same thing of like, I, it takes me a while to get hang out with friends because when I'm with them, I want to be, with them yeah i don't want to be thinking like if we're hanging out i don't want to be thinking about like oh my gosh i have to edit this episode and then there's going to be this these things that i'm trying to write or i have to film this audition or whatever it's it's all these things that you have to organize right like you were saying daniel so it's like it may take some time for us to hang out but that's because i really want to appreciate the time i want to have specific time with you and i don't want to look at my phone i am very much not a fan of of texting or looking at my phone while I'm in like specific group scenarios or just one-on-one with people. I'm very, I'm very much, I will, I will find myself putting my phone to the side yeah, and I will come back to those text messages later because I, they can, they can wait. And so I think that that is also part of it. And I mean, I also, um, I've started bullet journaling, which I very, very, very much love. And within that, it has helped me with my to-do list making sure that I like start the week and say, okay, these are my goals for the week. These are the things that I have to do this week. And these are the tasks that I want to accomplish this week. And so then returning back to that page for every day and being like, okay, well, what, what do I have to, what do I have to do in order to accomplish those things? And, and creating a to-do list that kind of starts my day and, and make sure that I can accomplish within certain parameters while I'm at my job or while I'm, while I, when I come home and like I have to record a little bit for the finale of Red Rhino today. And so I need to like make sure that I schedule time to do that. And so even with like your long-term goals, you're still figuring out time to figure out when you have time to work on those things throughout the day. Well, I have discovered that for me, I need to break it down to more so like smaller bits and pieces. So like my long-term goal or my overall goal being this external thing, but in order to achieve that, that's maybe like my year long goal. In order to achieve that, I have to break it down and say, oh, OK, well, I want to, let's say, write a pilot, write a new pilot. Um, then, then that means that like this month I'm going to work on the treatment for it. This month I'm going to work on the outline for it and then kind of work through those pieces. So then break it down even further. I'm going to this week just worry about my teaser in act one. What's that going to look like? I'm going to write out the outline for it. I'm going to kind of process it and think about it and then by the end of the month hopefully I will have a whole outline for this and then I will send it to other people and get their notes and then I will go through a notes process and so when, when you're writing I'm curious just as a as a as a, as a fellow writer um <laughs> so one of the one of the things I do and Michael knows this because whenever we've worked on like a pilot together or scripts together um if if something comes up a question about a moment in a script uh I, I I'm I'm a marinate person I'm a let me sit on that idea. Let me sit on that thought or let me sit on that problem and see what happens. And so I'll, I'll take some time just away from the script, maybe a day or two and just let it sit. And then usually event, like in the ne- that few days, something will hit and I'll text Michael and I'll be like, Hey, what if we do this? I've discovered 
yeah. I have this idea. What if we, I have some, a few ideas now. What if we do this or what if we do this or what if this, or I'll write a scene that fixes, I hope fixes the problem or whatever. Um, is that, is that something you do? Or are you someone who writes, deletes, writes, deletes? Like how do you fix issues in your, you know, when you reread something, you're like, Oh, that's a problem. You know, what is your process to kind of rewrite and go back? I have a very volatile relationship with all of my writing. <laughs> I, I, I scream at my pages. I, we get very, we get into scraps, me and my writing. We get, you got well, beef. I, I do. Um, it is, it is one of my favorite things about writing is that I kind of treat it as if it, it were another person, uh, the closest person to me. And so I will often treat, like, say, speak to it as if it were, oh, well, I'm really mad at the script today. I'm really mad at, like, the, the current project that I'm working on is a, is a pilot called Vulgarity. Well, I'm really mad at Vulgarity today. <laughs> Vulgarity is not listening to me. And if there's a specific character in it, the main character in it is named Jess. Well, if Jess isn't listening to me today and I'm very mad at her and I really wish that she would function the way that I want her to. And so what I have discovered is that I, in those moments, in those particular situations, I will, I'm, I'm an angry venter. I will text two to three people and be like, this doesn't make sense and I'm a terrible writer and everything's the worst. And I need to kind of get all of that anger out. And then if I just sit and sometimes what I'll do is I will uh, I will do like an interview process and I, I, I will I have had many of these. I've had angry conversations with my characters where I'll just like type at them. And I'll say, well, why aren't you functioning this way? What's wrong? Because generally speaking, it's because the character, like, I want the character to do something that the character would not do. And so I will sit and I will, I will say, well, why don't you want to do this thing? And they will say, because it's stupid. Well, why is it stupid? Because you're not listening to me. I'm sorry. Well, what do you want to say then? And then. I feel like I'm watching myself. <laughs> <laughs> like through those, through those moments and through those breakthroughs, I have discovered like pieces of myself, but also. You know, I have discovered the character and I have discovered like, oh, this is what you were wanting to do in the first place. And this generally is a better story. That kind of sounds like a better idea to also further define the voice yes. of the character in a way. Like if you are having frustrations with that character, if you have a conversation with them, you find out more about who they are. Absolutely. I have discovered so much more about characters and voices when I do it that way mm -hmm. than if I would just go and like barrel through and just kind of figure it out myself. I don't think that I would have nearly as much fun and feel as if they are separate people than yeah if I didn't do that yeah I, I feel like if someone saw me in it, I, I don't like writing in a room with someone I think that's I'm, I think I'm self-conscious because I'm a very active writer in the sense that I pace a lot and I talk to myself and I act out scenes and I put myself in the moments. And so I feel like if somebody saw me and watched me, I would look like a crazy person. Because I'm sitting there, you know, being two different characters, having an argument. And like, it'd be like, no, 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 that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Uh, you should have listened. And, you know, just kind of like having these moments. And are, are you that, do you feel like when you, when you write with other people, can you write in a room with someone? Or do you have to be by yourself? What I find about that in particular is I think that that comes from having acted before. Therefore, like out of that, I'm, I'm. So right now my friend that's visiting me is an actor. And so we kind of have that conversation where like I very much wish that I, I did act a little bit whenever I was in high school, but I did not pursue that. And so it's a thing that I constantly think about that I really do wish that I acted more because I think that that brings up a different viewpoint in writing and, and different skill sets that I don't necessarily have. But whenever I'm writing with friends, it's one of the few ways that I can do, I can kill two birds with one stone 
where I can still hang out with my friends, but also get some work done. <laughs> so I have a couple of friends where sometimes I'll, I'll be like, hey, do you want to hang out? And by hang out, I mean write in the same room together and sort of pre- pretend <laughs> like we're friends. silence while we write. <laughs> Friendship through osmosis. Right. And so I don't necessarily do that, but I will become very focused. I also very much enjoy a glass of wine when I do that because that helps like lubricate my ideas that I, I become less stringent on what I'm trying to Whiskey. do. And so yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but I don't necessarily like, it's nice because we're, when we're doing that, we're, it's whatever, we're all writers. And so it doesn't really, there's no judgment, like however it is that works for you. Or it's also nice too, because I can say, I'm frustrated with this and this isn't making sense to me. Do you have an idea? Do you have a pitch? And then we can talk about it for a minute. And then I can um, go back. So a minute ago, you were talking about people on their phones while I was on my phone behind I the know, mic I know. I was like, this isn't actually a dig at you. But, no, no, absolutely. But I was pulling up something, uh, an article that you were a part of. Because um, one of the things that we talk about on here is the idea of making it and what that means. And there's an article that I found from the Script Lab where you kind of talk about making it. And I just want to talk about some quotes that you had on here and kind of get more, kind of drill this out a little bit more. Um, one of the things you say is not to mention the constant struggle to make it without any re- anyone really defining what making it means, which is something we talk about is like, what is making it? And I think it's an individual thing. It's not a major thing. And another thing you say is, I think the phrase making it needs to go into serious retirement. We don't need it anymore. It's not helpful or healthy for any of us as writers to think. Uh, I won my category in the Big Break competition. I'm not too proud to say that it's a big deal, not just because the word big is in the title. I love that. But because out of the thousand people, uh, uh, mine mine was chosen. Uh, Many of these are close writer friends of mine who are far more talented than me. But I, you know, talking about making it and things like that. Do you, do you, for you have this idea of this is when I would have, made it or is do you think there is a made it i think it's a fantasy yeah i think that it's a fake viewpoint and i think kind of created by the industry a yeah, little bit. yeah yeah well created by the fact that none of us really know what this is like it's such an amalgamous thing that we're doing and that's a really cool thing it's like the wild west of things but it also you know we live in a society that is very in love with structure and there's not really a lot of structure to this. And I was just talking to somebody who was, was telling me about, I think it was, no, it was Moby who was saying, you know, one of the, the, one of the moments in his life where, uh, he, he was performing, he was one of the big gets for an award show and they put him up in this hotel and everything was really nice, but he was at his most depressed. Uh, because of the lack of community or the, the, because of many various things. And even in my life, like I can see where quote unquote successes are, but I also know I can tell you, I can be the first one to tell you why they don't count and why this isn't the way that it is. And I can tell you who is doing better than me. And those people who I am friends with will also say, well, you're wrong because this is why other people are doing better than me. And it just is this constant domino effect that comes from comparison and I think that comparison, first of all, comparison is the thief of joy, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But also compar- comparison is the thief of friendship. I think that as soon as we start to compare ourselves, I, one of the things that, that the, the women in my life that I, I met through the, the screenwriting class and that have become such a huge um, supporter of me and people that I look up to, they were, they, um, one of them, Eva Taylor, started this group called Chicks with Scripts. And the reason was that she was noticing that there were a lot of men in Hollywood that got jobs because they were friends with other men in Hollywood, which is 
fine. Like that's that's how this works, and that's how the 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 case is. And I don't I I love that. I think that's how it should be because you want to work with your friends. The problem comes when like with women, we were very much kind of pitted against each other. Um, this is a thing that Topher and I just talked about recently. With um, we were talking about Captain Marvel and my 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 fear that when Captain Marvel comes out, everyone will compare it to Wonder Woman, which is not fair. Uh, nobody compared Tony Stark's Iron Man to Batman. They're the same character, <laughs> but no one compared those movies because there are a plethora of movies about male superheroes. But because we live in a world where there are only two movies about female superheroes in the current you know cinematic universe climate yeah, yeah. exactly um those two movies will get compared and that really frustrates me because that puts them at odds with each other rather than supportive of each other and so for a lot of women in the industry that was kind of the way that it was where it was like there was only two or three women uh at all in the industry and therefore everyone like women should be in conflict with each other and women should be in you know constantly comparing and constantly like at odds and so my friend Eva her her goal was to create friendships with other women and it has been such a good shift in my own perspective of like oh no I I have friends who would be so much better than me at certain things like I I know what the skills are like and and I've had friends that put me up for stuff because they were like well I had this meeting with this person but they also really like teen stuff and you love teen stuff you should also talk to them and that like stems from it's this very beautiful sense of of community where it's like oh we're all in this together rather than we're all at odds with each other because there's the industry is really big and especially right now with with so much content being produced that like we don't we don't need to be at odds with each other and so that was something that was really um that has been kind of a guiding factor and principle in my own life with uh when it comes to um competition is that we don't we don't I will I will still probably always compare it's a thing that I just know about myself and I will constantly work against it because I don't ultimately I don't believe that that's something that I want to do. you know I think a lot of people say like in this like it's a it's a marathon not a race right stuff, but right. it's like for me that I always especially again going back kind of with making it like that that signifies or hints that there's a finish line and there's not Right. It's, 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 it's that finish line is death. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a river with several ports. It's 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 there's moments where you'll stop and you'll work on something for however long you're intended to be there, and then you move on and you you street go downstream to something else, and that's how it should be. I don't want there to be a finish line. No, I don't want to be like, well, I made the great the new great American show. I made the new Breaking Bad. I'm done career, now. Don't have anything my, else yeah, to do. My career's over. Bye, everybody. Like, you know, I don't want that. And no. I, Michael doesn't want to have like an Oscar and then be like, I'm done. Like, Bye. thanks, everybody. Oh I got Best Actor yeah. Oscar. This is making it for me. I'm good, guys. What What I think people mean when they say make it is that they can now get jobs easier and it's not necessarily as hard to get those said jobs. And I think that that's a different thing, but that's not what ultimately comes across when you're like, oh, I made it. Like, you're done now. The story is over. And that's that's not. You obviously worked in several different things. Uh, one of the things I saw you kind of worked on and wrote for an sh- uh, animated short series on YouTube called uh, DC Superhero Girls. Yeah. Um, tell us about how you got involved with that. Uh, obviously, WB, which you worked for. How did you get involved with that? And what was it like writing a full story in three minutes. I so I got connected to DC Superhero Girls because I very much love DC. I very much enjoy comic books. We so Supernatural did an episode in season thirteen 
called Scooby Natural. Yes, I just I watched that. It's one, one of my favorites. It is so well done, mm-hmm. and it was written by two Warner Brothers animation people. Oh, that's cool! I didn't know that. Jim and Jeremy, who are amazing, brilliant writers, brilliant people, and Jeremy and I started talking, and we, you know, we became friends, and, and he knew about my love of superheroes and was like hey i'm working on this thing i'm working on dc superheroes is this something that you'd be interested in i was like yes would you take me and he's like well let me read something that you've written <laughs> i mean not just not just on Smash, not just because no. <laughs> of you no and uh liked what i was writing and and you know put me up for the job for that and i got to write two um two shorts that i am very very proud of one of them featuring my baby garbage trash son Damian Wayne, who yeah, I love yeah, very nice. much. Very nice. He is wonderful. And I was very unsure if they would let me use him. And I was like, listen, I want I want Barbara Gordon to have to babysit. And it only makes sense for her to babysit Damian Wayne. <laughs> Am I allowed to use Damian? And they were like, I mean, I guess. It's fine. We'll like, allow yes! it. <laughs> now, for Michael, just real quick, this episode of Supernatural, the leads get sucked into Scooby-Doo pretty much. Oh, wow. And they, oh, it's it's. Perfect. And it's, it's so the whole episode is pretty much a Scooby Doo episode with the with animation with, and everything. Yeah, yes. anime, wow. with the old animation with the characters from Scooby Doo and the characters from Supernatural. It's That's a, incredible. A, it's an episode called A Night of Fright is No Delight. It is the episode of Scooby Doo, which I'm I don't know if you remember this or not. I my boss was watching it in the office and I found myself repeat like saying everything along with the show because i'd watched that episode so many times as a kid which is when they the scooby gang has to stay the night in a haunted mansion Mm -hmm. for you know money and somebody like tries to scare them yeah and turns out to be a real estate scam which most of them are in scooby-doo there are a lot of weird real real estate estate. Yeah. yeah turns out and so you know we took that episode and basically put our guys in it that's amazing. And animated them. It was. It's such a fun. It's, it's a really great. There's. I, I, we'll get to Supernatural. Yes, I, yes, I yes. love that show. So we'll I get do to too. That. Yeah. Um. And so yeah. So they're they're very talented writers. And, and Jeremy specifically um was a super huge proponent of me and has, has put me up for for numerous things, which That's is cool. is so kind. And so yeah. So I I I got to do that and writing writing something that was about three minutes long was challenging but i also you know in in college was writing short films so it it is not something that i am necessarily well versed in now or well now i've done it so yes but at the time i was like oh it's been a while since i've worked this muscle but it's something that's really fun and it's something that can be done because it's a very very simple thing right yeah but it also sharpens your skills as a writer even more it does because you don't have the luxury of 30 minutes an hour no no you have have to be very concise to fit all this action and all this character development in right then and there and and was was there you know what were the differences from writing like a live action show and writing a cartoon like what was how did you have to your your mindset have to shift it's oddly enough very similar to writing radio drama Mm -hmm. um we you know it's still very visual and and probably most of the animation people will not like that i equate it but in terms of there's a riot outside right now sorry guys (laughs) but in terms of just kind of being specific with the things that you are putting on paper more so than so so when you're writing live action you have to kind of be more specific to actors of like this is the emotion that you're feeling this is the reason that you're you're making this choice whereas in animation you i mean that's still there but more more so specifically it's you are now moving here this person is now moving here this person is now screaming this person is now like you have to 
give the animator kind of what they're looking for so that they kind of have an idea of what this looks like. It's also very similar to writing comics, which is something I've been working on and doing. So it's it's being aware. I think with everything that you are writing, you have to be aware of who is going to be working on it other than you mm-hmm. because it just starts with you and then other people will now take it and make a new thing out of it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was, is it the same, was it the same process where you write it, you, you, you submit it, they give you notes, you get it back, you, some, maybe, or somebody else does a little rewrite on it, you get notes, you do another rewrite. Was it kind of that same process or was it a little different because it was, you know, obviously social media content, YouTube content, digital content. No, generally that, I mean, it, it was generally the same kind of process that you'd experience, you'd get type thing. Right. Uh, I think I had, I did the first, I did the first draft and I gave it to Jeremy and then he gave me a round of notes and then I turned that around and gave it to him and then he did his own, you know, showrunner pass on it and right. then submitted it to the network and then they, they did it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's on YouTube, but YouTube is very like, like YouTube wasn't as much a part of the process. Uh, I don't know if they had more to do with like the Warner Brothers side of things that I'm just not a part of. But yeah, in terms of of that as a network, it wasn't necessarily a huge part of right. the experience. How many pages was it? If I can ask, do you remember? I think it was five pages, something like that. And I think we whittled it down. No, no, no. It was six pages originally, and then we whittled it down to like four and a half. It's, so, it's a really cool series. I, I watched oh, a few you. of the episodes. It's, if you get a chance, check it out. It's, yeah. it's really it's fun. It's very delightful. Like yeah. at first I was like not sure. And then I watched some of it and I was like, oh, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I would have loved to have watched as a like a young girl who loved comics. And right. so, you know. Especially it, focusing on the female side of yeah. those girls. I yeah. don't, don't get a lot of the kind of main, exactly. main attention. I think and really DC cool. has some of the like some of the best female superhero characters. Some of the best characters. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so it was a really cool thing to be able to like write these characters that i already very much love and and those episodes are available on youtube they or, are on okay. youtube yeah because i know D- there's the dc universe now oh yeah yeah no no no. but these are definitely on yeah YouTube. these are youtube that's where i find. just search dc superhero girls all separate words and you'll find it um okay so now uh moving on so you work on the show supernatural uh for those that don't know supernatural airs on the cw it is a going to enter its 15th season but you are the showrunner assistant for the showrunner there. What's, uh, what's the showrunner's name? I, uh, so I, I work for Andrew Dabb. Andrew Dabb. They, as you said, it's gone through several showrunners. Yeah, so. yeah. He's the fourth showrunner. Uh, we have two showrunners. Bob Singer has been on the show since the, the we first got the show. Um, he's been super amazing and he's a brilliant man. He's been in television for years and is uh, such a, a great guy to learn from. Um, he's very, very brilliant. And Andrew has been on the show since season four. It's, it was his first job in television and he's worked to become the showrunner, which is insane. And uh, so the show started with Eric Kripke. Eric Kripke created the show and he uh, left around season five, like after season five, yeah, sort season of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sarah Gamble took over for two seasons and she's now running you and the magicians. She's very busy. We're very proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeremy Carver took over the show mm-hmm. from season eight to 11. And then he got a show frequency, which is when uh, my boss became the showrunner. And uh, yeah, season 12 was his first season. And that was the beginning of 2016. And you, and you started with 20, in 2016, correct? I did, Absolutely. yes. Um, so how, how did that job come about? And just go through maybe your day-to-day responsibilities. Yeah, so the job came about um, because people are always very interested in how do you get a job in television, specifically in writer's offices. Um, it is... What? I know, I know. <laughs> um, so getting a job in the writer's office is very hard. Uh, but 
What? All brand new information. But it um it this particular job came about because uh, I am a part of an assistance group on Facebook, which is a really great group of people, and it's it's kind of been an interesting thing to see because I think it keeps a, a lot of us accountable to each other because we know all of the other assistants and we can be like, that's dumb. Don't do that anymore. And anyway, I saw a job posting for a long running show. They were looking for a PA and I recognized the person who posted it because the my job at Warner Brothers, I knew all of the different people that worked, like all the different support staff that worked on the shows. So, and, and some of them I would even see because depending on how where the show was, we would they would sometimes send their PA over. They would sometimes send their showrunner's assistant over to get checks and things like that. And people really want money, and so they were very friendly to you. <laughs> and so I, uh, I I met her and knew that she worked on Supernatural, and so I sent her a quick email, and I was like, hey, I saw that you had posted this job up. Is there any chance that I could be up for it? And she was like, yeah, no, I'll totally put you up for it. And I interviewed, and I didn't get that job, but... They liked me very much and they were like, hey, listen, if frequency goes, uh, Andrew will be moving up and we'll need a, a, an assistant because he didn't have one or frequency would need a PA. Would you be up for either of those jobs? And I said, yes, please. Um, yeah. And and uh, something even before that that I learned from my friend Eva, I, I wanted to jump over to a show. I knew I had started Warner Brothers in 2015 and I knew that it was only a year long job. And so I was like, okay, come January, I wanted to jump on a show. That was my goal. So I talked to her and I was like, what do you do? And she gave me some of the best advice. And I hope she doesn't mind me sharing it here, which was, yeah, uh, which was to put a list of shows that you'd want to work on uh, and list all the people that are on it, list all of the writers, list all the support staff that you know. Generally speaking, IMDb has all of that information. And then Look on Facebook and see who you're friends with or see who's friends with this person that is also friends with you. See who their mutuals are. And then either reach out to them via Facebook Messenger, which you still can. It goes into the like hidden file, but sometimes people are, are down to look at that. Yeah. Because the thing is that most people in LA are very friendly and are very willing to help other people out because that's how we all got where we are is because someone helped us out. That's right. And so uh, she also said, you know, either like Facebook messages, people cold calling, which is a gambit, whether or not that will work, but you should also, you know, reach out to your friends and say, Hey, is this like, would you be willing to introduce me to this person? Or also, can you like, if you hear of something, can you put me up for this? Which is a very uncomfortable thing to do, but you have to do it anyway. And so I've learned from this podcast. Yes. You just got to do it. Getting guests. That's nobody will care. That's the thing is like, I think people are very much like, oh, well, I'm afraid that people will think this and this about me. No one cares. No, they're they're, So especially I think people just know in this industry. Yeah. It's people are going to ask like now there's ways of doing it and there's proper ways of of doing it. It's just you got to, you know, it's but don't be afraid to do it. Half the time. I don't know that people are looking for jobs until they send me the resume. I'm like, oh, great, cool. Now I know. And now when somebody asks me for resumes, I can say, oh, I know this person. And I because you always want to work with people that you like. That's just at the end of the day, you're spending so much time. I spend so much time with the people in my office. I just want to like them. And I do. I like But you're also busy. And so you don't even know, like, I don't know that Daniel's looking for a job or something like that until he tells me that he's looking for. Michael, I'm looking for a job. (laughs) 
Got um, it. <laughs> nailed it. I was put up for those jobs, and then we found out that frequency went. And I, well, and to be fair, I did also talk to Andrew, and Andrew, Andrew was great. Andrew was the best boss. I very much appreciate. Shout and out, Andrew. Adore him. Call me. Um, however, <laughs> he did not care. He was like, I don't know what an assistant's supposed to be. I don't know. Sure, you seem fine. You seem not crazy. So, for people who do not know, a showrunner is the runner of the show. Um, my family still, I don't think, knows what that is. But there's always a, a, a basically a head writer of a TV show. They're the one that makes the story decisions, the story calls, they they choose whether or not like the thing goes, the pitches go, whatever. So my job as showrunner's assistant is making sure that the office moves smoothly, that my boss gets to the places that he needs to be at the time that he needs to be at them. Um, I do a lot of scheduling for him. I do a lot of scheduling um for casting stuff i do our sides and i do our i I approve our breakdowns in terms of i mean my boss approves them but i like make sure that they're not spoilery and because Mm -hmm. our casting breakdowns go out wide in canada and so we have fans that will find that and will like intuit certain things from the story so we we try and make sure that that's you know like spoiler free spoiler they shoot in canada what yes (laughs) we do we shoot in vancouver and have since the show started Actually, do you primarily cast from Vancouver as well? Yes. Yeah. Um, The thing that uh, people don't always necessarily know that involves is also just kind of morale. Like a lot of my job is making sure that like the morale is high and making sure that everybody and that's something that I have taken on myself. I don't think that that's necessarily something that is a particular job description, but I want to make sure that like it is a good environment for people to work in. And I want to make sure that like people are supported and that you know, writing is a very, very vulnerable thing. And so making sure that like we're all functioning at a, at a fairly decent level is, is part of it. And so um, I, I definitely take on a like amount of emotional labor just because that's something that like I think makes me a good employee essentially. And, you know, there are boundaries within that, but also like I, um, we're, our, our room is run a little bit differently uh, but you know, making sure that the, my boss gets all the story stuff and I proof for things and I proof for a lot of our writers and I, you know, it, it is what, it, what people need. And so all of the, but all of those jobs are very dependent on, you know, what, uh, what my boss needs and what the room needs. And so I think that it, it's, it's so interesting because most writers offices, those particular jobs will look very different from room to room. Somebody who is another showrunner's assistant will listen to what I've just said and see and be like, no, you can't do any of those things because on their show, that's not how they would run it. That's not how they would do it. And it's it's so very dependent because the the room is so dependent on on the personalities that you have. And so I, you know, I think that it helps to be a versatile person. I think it helps to be someone who has a, a, a good sense of humor and willing to the thing that I see a lot is when people like think that they belong somewhere else. And that's very saddening to me. Like, yes, we would all like to not be assistants, but we're not there yet. And, and there's people that would die to have those jobs. Absolutely. And, and there's, there is a level of like, you know, there's a, there's a weird gross level of like, well, you have to like pay your dues and that's not great, but there is something to like, I, I'm so grateful for the time that I've had because I feel like I have learned so much and that's part of it. And I wouldn't have been able to learn if I didn't feel like I belonged there. If I didn't feel like, like if I felt like something else, I, I should be somewhere else. Like I'm 
too good for this job or something like that. You're you're in a place where you are still in this place of learning. Yeah. Right. Like you can't just go into that office and like, I need to be the showrunner for Supernatural. Right. Right. It, it It's a sense of, OK, well, like, how can I how best can I learn? Like walking into a situation and say, how best can I learn? I've seen all of the shows, so I didn't necessarily need to go back and rewatch everything. But I read all of the scripts because I hadn't read the scripts before. And so, like, I spent a good portion of the first year there reading um, we're at 300 episodes so i've read 300 episodes of supernatural while having also watched the the all of the episodes um numerous times because i like the show i've seen it a couple of times now um and so you know that has also helped me kind of grow in my understanding because it was like a, a master class in genre storytelling like we've got some of the most amazing writers had been on our staff and so to be able to like read those scripts and kind of learn from that and grow from that has been well i think paying your dues is earning your education you're yeah. earning the yeah. educate the free education yeah you're getting. because i didn't go to school for this yeah. and so this is a lot of stuff that like i now have a, a varying i have a, a basically a supernatural degree because <laughs> i've read so much and i've like made it my own kind of curriculum so that leads me to my next question is you know a, what is your relationship like with Andrew and, you know, your day to day relationship and how, you know, how do you guys work together as, as a team? Since, I mean, it's a team effort in some points with the assistant and the, the showrunner. And then also, you know, what do you how do you how do you how have you actively obviously you've read the scripts and stuff, but how have you actively engaged in learning in this in this job? Sure. Um, I think I mean, actively engaged in learning is uh, reading on the scripts, reading all of the different drafts that come in and seeing how that changes. So like somebody will turn in a draft and then I will see how it like changes from the next draft, like all the notes that they've taken from learning about how the notes are received and how to implement those notes. while also learning something that I've been really grateful for too, is that if somebody has given me a script to read, I will look at it and I will look at it critically and I will say, okay, well like these are my thoughts on it in a way that I think has really helped grow me as a notes giver. Um, I am low man on the totem pole and I totally respect that and understand that. But I've also been able to grow because our writers are amazing and they've asked for my opinion on things. And so therefore I can be able to speak from the sense of, oh, well, I don't know if I like, what about this? Like, I have a question about how you did this. And so then we have a conversation about it. And I've been able to learn from our amazing, brilliant writers because they are willing to kind of speak to me and and learn or like teach me and and show me how like, oh, okay, well, like this is the decision that I made. And and so therefore, and I, and I've been able to grow in my own understanding of story and saying, oh, well, I don't, what is the difference between, I don't necessarily understand that choice or I don't like that choice. Right. Like those are two very specifically different ways of looking at a script that I think that are very important when you're giving notes that like there, you need to be able to say, this is a thing that I don't understand or isn't landing or isn't whatever. I think that you're trying to say this thing and this is how it's coming across. Or I just don't like the way that you did this. That second one is garbage and you shouldn't say that because that that doesn't matter. That's that's fun. That's, it means nothing. Yeah, it means nothing. It's it means not constructive. That, no, exactly. And so, I'm, but I definitely gave those notes when I was like my first year on the show and my writers were very, very kind to me that they were like, okay, well, that's not helpful. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I've, I've grown from that. And so, and, and Andrew is so willing to, to kind of talk to me about the business side of things. Andrew loves talking about the business side of stuff. So, I, so I've learned so much from him in terms of why the industry is the way that it is and how things are moving and what's happening currently. And that has been something that has been, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for. It's another side of that degree, right? It's another side of the industry degree, which is now I'm, I'm understanding the business side of it rather than just the creative side of it. 
because that is also when you are a creative, you have to be able to run yourself as a business. You right. are a business. And so therefore to say, oh, okay, I think that the world is moving in this way. I think that like these are the next steps that are taking place. How can I position myself to be in that particular space mm-hmm. is really great. Do you engage with production a lot? Do you get to go on set a lot? Or are you mainly in the office? So our production is in Vancouver. Uh, I talk a lot with our Vancouver office, both via Twitter and also uh, Gmail, uh, because a lot of us are on Twitter. And so we'll just like razz each other on Twitter, which is really fun. (laughs) I'm really good friends with our production office. I love them very, very much, which has been really beneficial because it's also how I've learned about how our production works. And I got to go up to Vancouver in January and February to kind of see how an episode is done. Because normally when I've gone before, it's been for like a party. Like I went for a rap party and I've gone for a 300th party. And so this was um, the the experience to, excuse me, the experience to meet everyone that I that I know in theory and in context. And I know of them and I've, I've kind of talked to them on the phone when we're scheduling certain meetings was invaluable to be able to meet them face to face and see what they're doing and to like really the thing that I was thinking about is how you know when you're writing a script it's very two-dimensional because it is words on a paper but then the idea is that you know you give it to these very talented individuals who have worked on the show for years and years and they make this two-dimensional thing a three-dimensional being and then and then it's living and breathing and beautiful and amazing and it's so much more beneficial to be able to talk to the people who are doing that to meet them and learn from them and learn who they are and what makes them tick and why they, why they're doing the things that they're doing. And I think that because I don't, because that's not necessarily the realm that I'm in, I'm not really in production and I'm, I don't have a production mindset. And so to be able to learn from them was also invaluable. You know, one of the things I like to ask people, especially people that visit sets, especially professional set network Mm -hmm. sets. um, Do you have any advice for someone that maybe may have that opportunity in the future to visit that set on how to like, you know, uh, the etiquette of being on set and sure. how to handle themselves when they get on set for like a popular network, popular show that they may love. I'd say more like an assistant, not non-production. Great. Uh, as an assistant, shut up and watch. <laughs> you, you don't matter here, um, but meet everybody, make an attempt to talk to everyone when they are not busy, right. but make an attempt to kind of ask people about their stories and, find out what got them here and what what they're passionate about and that's it you don't you don't you truly don't belong there and you are this is a gift that you are given to be yeah you're a guest to this space this this is home for a lot of people so like be mindful of the the etiquette and the response to that um and also stay the whole time um that's something that i was very intentional about i wanted to stay through the whole shoot because it is very easy as a writer to kind of just be like, well, write this thing and then go. And and without having a level of empathy for the people who live that day in and day out. Um, I don't know how production people do it. It's an amazing stamina that I do not have to just keep going and keep pushing for hours that are, you know, 11 to 12 to maybe even 14 hours. And I think also, you know, by season 14, it's a well-oiled machine. Yeah, like they have absolutely. their processes. They have their... Uh, verbiage they know what the other person wants and they know this oh absolutely so like, they know how that set works and like yeah don't be a, don't be don't a mess anything up friend yeah. yeah don't be that person yeah. that comes in and just gets in the way of everything 
Um, so you you wrote your first episode I did. of this show. I mean, again, I, I mentioned before we started recording, but that's amazing. And Thank congratulations. You. I that's, appreciate that. that I, again, as a writer who hopes one day to be there, like I can just imagine the feeling it's very weird of having that happen i'm sure <laughs> um what was the what was that process what you know how did that come about that you got this opportunity and what was the process especially kind of uh, not as a member of the writing staff per se what was that process um that process was um you know i i asked to sit in on pitches and and i listened and i i wanted to learn as much as i can about that process and we have a very different kind of experience on the show uh, in terms of pitching and, and our, the way that our room is structured and works. I was just kind of given the opportunity and told, okay, you can pitch this time. And uh, I was, I had three pitches, which is kind of how we work, uh, three different story ideas. I pitched them. The The bosses chose one that they liked. And so then I, uh, I did, it, it, it's a co-story and then I wrote the script itself. Right. So um, I was paired with one of our writers, Steve Yaki, who is, brilliant uh I've, I've been reading his stuff for for a long time and he is a playwright who writes some brilliant wackadoo things that every time i read it i'm like this is insane and i love it it's amazing we worked on that together he helped me build it out he helped me kind of put the the arena together and, and the outline together and and kind of talked me through that and taught me how to do it kind of from, helped you through the process. yeah because it's a different thing to observe it and then it's a different thing to do it and so I could I can tell you like from a, a you know academic standpoint how I think that these things are good and work and then but it's a different thing from like doing it it's a whole new ball game and so he he helped me put that together and then uh, it was approved and then I wrote the first draft and then Andrew gave me notes and I wrote a second draft and nice. yeah so I mean what was it like because I'm guessing you went on set to see that script yeah. What was that like just seeing your script come to life? Weird. It's still <laughs> weird. I I function as a human being, mostly from a disassociative sense. Because um, otherwise I will get too emotional about things. So I'm like very, very separate from things. It's okay to get emotional on, on the show. It's I don't funny. feel anything. I'm a robot. <laughs> and I... But the thing that I love so much, because the, the question that everybody on set would ask me all the time was... Is this what you imagined? Is this what you saw? And the thing is, no, because I didn't imagine anything. I'm very different. I don't know if like people do this this way. This is just the thing that I realized because I never really kind of faced this before. Um, I All I care about is the feel. All I care about is how it feels and how the... Um, if, if the feeling it comes across, like I had no... Like there's there's some things that happen in it and I had no real idea how that would look. I wanted everybody to have fun with it, but I was like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I just want, I just know what I want it to feel like. I want it to feel this way. And that feeling was accomplished 10,000 10, times over. Um, now that's not to say that like when I watched the first cut, it wasn't the most painful thing I've ever experienced. It was, but not because of, it, it's that way because it's normal to be that way. This is also that way how it was also how it was with Red Rhino, the first cut that I did of Red Rhino. I was like, this is the worst piece of crap that I've ever like listen to and and not that I thought that my episode was a piece of crap but I was just like this is so bonkers this is so hard to watch because I can only I can only see everything wrong with it yeah. and everything that I didn't do well and everything that like sucks about me I project onto the screen mm -hmm. 
Then I watched it a second time. Nothing had changed except I had already seen it. And I think that that's, that's something I think that's really important for most creatives is to be able to say, like, watch it twice. <laughs> Deal with it twice. Because the first time, it's so important to know that the first time is going to be hard. And that's, it's hard for everyone. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad writer. It doesn't make the thing that you wrote bad. Because I'm really proud of the thing that I wrote. I'm really proud of the, of the episode. And I think the episode's going to be really great. But it was hard to watch it the first time because it just is. That's just how it is. It's just a hard thing. There are numerous reasons for it and every person's reason is different and that's okay. Yeah, it's, um, it's the same thing when I watch a performance of myself in sure, something. Yes. The first time I watch it, I'm like, God, everything that I'm doing is terrible. Everything is the worst. I feel the same way when I watch them the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's then, not helpful. But then the more and more you watch it, you're able to relax yes. off of it and just start focusing more on what it is. Yes. And I think, I don't know, I think that that's a thing that is part of the, you know, the demystification of television is that like, you're not a, you're not bad at doing the thing that you love just because it's hard. I think that that just means that you have to work that muscle a little bit, a little bit more because that, that muscle, that muscle for me was real flabby. And now I'm like, oh, okay, like I have this under my belt now. And I'm a little bit more like, oh, okay, I know, I know what this feeling is and I can classify this feeling. That feeling is uncomfortability because it's vulnerability. Right. Well, speaking of Red Rhino podcasts, obviously you're a fan of podcasts. Like I, I said, you, you have Wine and Comics, uh, you have Red Rhino. Um, but what was, you know, how did that come about? And what was the process to, you know, get it out there for you guys? So and what, how long was the process? A long time. <laughs> uh, I have always loved it. I've always wanted to do it. I um, wasn't really sure if it was a thing or not, but I, I started to kind of like think a little bit more critically about it. And I started to think, well, what of my stories that I love and have written and no, because I didn't want to come up with a new idea. Could I turn into an audio drama? And uh, Red Rhino has always been... I, Red Rhino is is uh, a short film that I wrote in my screenwriting 2 class because we had to write some sort of MOS, you know, um, a, sorry, um, silent feature kind of a thing or a silent short film. And so I was like, well, the thing that would be interesting to me is writing about uh, a superhero. And I... Though I was writing it, I knew very quickly that this would be impossible to produce as most, you know, with no money, superhero things are because there's so much of it that is reliant on VFX. And so I thought about it and I was like, you know, I don't really know of a lot of, of superhero audio dramas and I really would love the, the whole thing that I love about audio dramas is imagination and storytelling within imagination. And I, within that was thinking, oh, well, I would really love to utilize imagination to tell the superhero story because I think that that would be really fun to imagine, like, let other people imagine this world and and because it's a world that I very much love. And so I started to think on it and write it and and, and process it and, and try and figure out how to, to basically show on my own show without a lot of show and a training. I think I started this, like... 2015 very early early and uh in the writers group I was in at the time uh my friend Gloria was reading them and she's a brilliant director and so she's reading them she's giving me really good notes on them and she was really helping me to like produce the story and pull the story uh, apart and and make sure that it made sense I was like okay great like whatever your thoughts are like keep keep giving them to me because I have no clue what I'm doing and so she was like, can we do, can we do brunch one time? And I was like, sure, let's do brunch, whatever. It's LA, of it's, course. Uh, uh, I'm can always up for a brunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she like basically ambushed me and was like, cool. So you're not directing this with anybody but me. And I was like, 
yeah, cool. Dope. All right. That's fine. That's awesome. Uh, and so she jumped on board and, and was really enthusiastic about it and is such a great director. And I, but I knew that I needed a producer because I don't, I, I'm learning to have a producer mindset, but at the time I was very much like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to schedule actors. And I don't, and I needed someone to kind of lean on for all of the, cause as a creative, it's very difficult to make the hard choices you have to, that's your job as showrunner, but like it, it was very difficult for me to like know what hard choices I need to make. And so I pulled in my really good friend, Lenita Harless, who is my um, co-host's wife, um, my co-host from Wine and Comics, his wife, Lenita. Where you guys uh, drink wine and you talk about that. Yes, in de- indeed. It's a very, very straightforward podcast. And we talk about deep political issues. And- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In a twist. And so I asked Lenita. Lenita's got a brilliant, um, brilliant mind for that. And I was like, can you produce this for me? And she's like, sure. And she's like, she's basically our line producer and she's so good at what she does. And so I had like my, pulled my team together and I, was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing still. Like I'm writing this thing and I think that I'm going to be doing an okay job, but I have to see what else is out there. And so around that time I got into, I started to like research and I got into um, shows like Wooden Overcoats or The Bright Sessions. And I knew about Welcome to Night Vale. Welcome to Night Vale had been around for a little while, but what I wanted to do was a little bit different from Welcome to Night Vale because it's like one person talking and I wanted a little bit more than that. Um, And so I reached out to Lauren Shippen, who is now one of my best friends and she does the bright sessions. Yeah, that's where I know. Maybe Maybe I've seen her on Twitter too. She's also very, she's killing it right now. She has her own production company and she's writing a book and she's, she's killing it. Yeah, no, she's, she's a wonderful human being and she has been running bright sessions and, and has gotten really, and has just told a really wonderful story. And so I reached out to her and I was like, what is that like? Tell me about like running a podcast because it's also just so different than what I grew up listening to audio dramas with. And so I sat down with her and I, I pulled together a bunch of other people that I like asked their opinions of and questions of. And, um, also found the audio drama community, which I am incredibly grateful for and are, are brilliant humans as well. And, through that, we started to kind of like slowly progress our way. I think when we first started, we finally started doing auditions in 2016. And that was when I was like, okay, I guess we're really doing this. <laughs> I guess this is official. It's real. It's real now. Uh, I, I, and the casting process is one of the worst things on the planet. And I will forever hate casting. I love casting. I hate casting. I love it. I hate it so much. I, hate- I could imagine for audio. It's even harder oh, yeah, in sure. a way. Well, my issue kind of goes along the lines of like, I have a feeling and I have a sense about the thing that I'm telling, but like somebody, it's finding who fits that sense rather than like, you may be the perfect person for it. I don't know, but I can listen to you and I think that you're probably going to tell it a good way. But the problem that I have run into with casting is that I'm I'm often thinking, oh, well, you you probably will tell it a different type of way or like a cool kind of way. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're going to bring to this yet. And it's a scary unknown. And so I don't like it, but we went through it and it was, it was a, a long, painful process. Your cast is great. I've listened to Thank you. Uh, I'm, four episodes so far. And oh, great. Fantastic. I love them very much. I'm so lucky to have them. They're, they're wonderful humans that I don't know how I lucked out with mm-hmm. and um, it was a process of finding them because that was the other thing is I wanted to make sure that, I had kind of an open casting thing and I wanted to make sure because of the story that I was telling that I wanted to um, 
make it open to to various states, um, various people in various states. So, um, and then we recorded, I think, in 2016. And then I we recorded the first five episodes. I hadn't written the last five. And but I wanted to hear them before I started the next bit. And then I also needed an editor <laughs> because I was like, I very quickly. Kind of a real- big deal there. Well, I kind of very quickly realized, oh, what I want to do is way bigger than what I can do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like create a whole soundscape. And that's just not in the realm of the things that I can do. And so and I, and I needed, you know, I needed music. And that is also not within the realm of things that I can do. And so I um, I sent out a, a message and, and many of the assistant boards that I was on. And I found Eric, who is our, our sound composer and, and engineer and producer and things like that. He is so good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so blown away constantly by the things that he like by how he does this. Like it's, it's just I, I will think of what I it's the same thing. Like I will create a thing and I'll be like, oh, I think that it will probably sound this way. And then he just makes it sound so much better. And I'm like, oh, man, this isn't me. This is all Eric. <laughs> and um, so then uh, then I then we did the second round of recording and we started uh, releasing uh, in um, September last year. So. And it's crazy how long a process yeah. you know, this obviously was. But you guys also have a Patreon, yep. uh, www.patreon.com forward slash. Uh, Red Rhino podcast. Right. You can go on there and uh, donate to yes. the cause. And you have some really cool uh, rewards. I was looking at it before we started. And Thanks. I love, I think, like, uh, I wish I had $75 to donate because I would love to get the commentary podcast. Thank and you. Yes. How that goes. Because <laughs> if you put you, you get a commentary podcast feed, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, and uh, it's it's great. I think we have a trailer that you have offered up to us to yes, run. Indeed. So, uh, Michael, go to the trailer. Time always has a way of dooming Wes Whitaker. Tick. Tick. No matter. Field report 2314. The rise of the Red Rhino. No! Wes! What is happening? Look, look at that rhino down there. He could take on the world. He doesn't hurt other animals, just protects those around him. He's like the thing of the animal world. Where are you taking Wes? I promise I'll help him get better. Trust me. Who are you? As if there is a simple answer. Wes, you're a superhero. Man, it, I, it really is. Like I said, I've listened to a few episodes and it is really fantastic. And uh, 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 congratulations to it. Because again, I, I can understand the immense process of putting that together. Um, I'm working on a, a 10 minute short film and I, I, that alone is already an immense process. So, but it's also just a field that we're kind of returning back to mm-hmm. right from audiobooks and things like Old that. Radio dramas. Well, yeah. but even now Amazon and other streaming companies, they're starting to notice where you have shows like homecoming or lore dirty that, John. Yeah. That are, that start off from podcasts and now are becoming other media. So Absolutely. it's a really great way to not spend as much money as if you were to, film these or something like that right. there's still cost to it of course right well i mean we're living in a world right now that everybody is very fascinated by ip everybody's looking for ip that they can get which is totally fine it's not my favorite thing that we're doing right now but like fine whatever that's just the way that the industry is and so what's great is like if you still want to create original content 
you have a proof of concept. And like, that's what people used to do all the time with like making short films is they would create a short film with a proof of concept so that then they could take it to buyers who would then pay for it and, and buy the IP essentially. And so this is what's so great about audio drama. Like I very much love audio drama as an audio medium. And I, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to say that like, you know, audio is is not as good as television because I actually find them to be very different mediums oh, and you can't yeah, like yeah. it's apple to oranges. But I think that, you know, there are there are ways in which you can um, adapt st- the story to to fit the screen um, while still also really loving and preserving the uh, medium in the audio format. And so. It's a great way to get your name out there. Yeah, of course. If you're a writer, you wrote this, people will notice. And right. Like, oh, do you write? television or do you write film right. you know it's just a, another way to get yourself out there Absolutely. and imagination is limitless when right. it comes to audio right which is amazing i mean right now it's the it's the wild i consider it to be the wild west of um content right now is Absolutely. because there's so many i mean the, the audio drama community is so incredibly diverse and so incredibly inclusive and it's it's filled with a bunch of really different and unique voices that i've never heard before and that's one of the reasons why you know, I'm I'm listening to a lot of audio drama because it's storytelling that's very new and exciting and that I haven't I just I haven't experienced and I love that. And again, you get to know different people and their names, which is great. Uh, so to kind of start wrapping up to kind of I don't want to keep you here too long. I, I've got over time a little bit already. Um, one of the things that we started doing in this season is we talk a lot about celebrating the small victories. You know, a lot of people look at the big goals, the making it, things like that. And they kind of miss living in the moment of these small accomplishments that we make week to week or that we do writing seven pages or finishing a script or, you know, small things like that. So we want to celebrate your most recent small victories. So what are some of like in the last week or two, some of your like three of your small victories that you've had? And we want to celebrate. Well, thanks. No um, I think that, so one of the things that I'm really proud of is that Vulgarity, the pilot that I was talking about, um, I finally did a rewrite on it and I really like the new rewrite. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I just wrote a uh, bonus series for uh, Lauren's uh, podcast. It's it's called The AM Archives is the series that she's working on right now. And I wrote like a couple of four episode bonus series for it. So, um, and that was done very quickly because um, one of the actors is staying with me at the moment and uh, will be leaving soon. And so we wanted to make sure that we got that done before he left. And so I did not know what I was doing for that. And now I do. And I, I wrote um, the first three episodes. I haven't written the fourth one yet, but I wrote the first three episodes and I'm really excited Yay! about it. Nice. And, and any other wins that you want to celebrate? Uh, I somehow have acclimated to being back in the office after being on set for a long time. And that was very hard because I was very tired. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on all of that. That is all fantastic. Uh, again, we love celebrating those things because it's important to small, celebrate those small wins. Um, and we, we have two more things. Uh, we like to ask everyone, you know, our show is called Hollywood Hustle Podcast. One of the things we like to say is the hustle is not just in Hollywood. It's a universal idea. Um, what would you say is your idea or definition of hustle? I think that my definition of hustle is trying your best. I think that that's the most that any of us can do in any sort of medium be it plumbing or politics or you know caring for your children 
all you can do is try your best. Absolutely. I like that. And finally, this has been a long running thing. We've been doing this for three seasons now. Uh, before Facebook and after Friendster, there was a wonderful place that people went to hang out called MySpace. And on MySpace, you would go and be mad because you weren't in someone's top six friends. and Top eight. How dare well, you? Well, it's top six. Yeah. Then it became top eight. And then you had to wait forever and listen to God is one of us while you waited for a friend's page to load because it took so long because they had a song playing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Uh, the songs. But one of the best parts about MySpace was they had quizzes. And this is before BuzzFeed where there was no answers or results to the quiz. It was just you taking quiz to let people know about yourself. Yes. Well, I found a quiz that has 167 questions. Again, I'm not asking you all 167 questions. Oh. But beforehand, I did ask you to pick six numbers that culminate with some questions on here. So, Megan Fitzmartin. Are you ready for your MySpace quiz? I'm so excited. <clears throat> Question one. What was the last song you listened to? It's going to always be Africa by Toto. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention one of the things here. Don't explain anything. Great. That makes us even I, better. I absolutely will not explain that. <laughs> no follow-up questions. <laughs> Next question. Have you ever... Have you ever uh, are you okay with a few small, not too personal, but small personal questions? Always. All right. Have you ever made out in a bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, next question. Have you, or are you, or what are you? Yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? No. All right. Do you watch the news? Ugh, no. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> All right. And your second to last question is, did you, Okay. If this is too personal, let oh, me know. I'm so excited. And we can, pick, oh, we can, we can edit this and pick a new question. Yes. <clears throat> I'm already turning around. I'm so excited. Have you ever showered with someone else? No. All right. Well, you hold on. Yes. <laughs> can I explain this, though? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the final question for your MySpace quiz, Megan Fitzmartin. Did you ever win a trophy in your life? Yeah. Well, there you go. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you for taking your MySpace quiz. (laughs) Let everybody know where can people find you? Where can people look up your stuff? Where can people follow you? Everywhere. (laughs) Um, I am on every form of social media, really, as Meg, M-E-G, Fitz, F-I-T-Z, 8-9. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. You can... Find me on any obscure thing because I think I've mostly taken up all the Meg Fitz 89s on the internet. <laughs> no one else. No one else can have this. Um, the 89 is very important because I do have a Twitter doppelganger that does not have the 89 and she is very oh. lovely. I love her very much. We're very good friends, but she has gotten a lot of hate because people forget to add the 89 <laughs> and we'll just add her. Aww. And so she's constantly like, so is this thing happening on Supernatural? Because I've been getting some things again. And I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> nice. My bad. Um, and then you can also find uh, the shows that I uh, work on. Not Supernatural. You can figure Supernatural's out. Supernatural's on the CW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, local um, area listing. Fair. Uh, you can watch my episode on March 14th mm-hmm. uh, and the, you can watch it on netflix so it's all you available could, well, there you will ev- to yes. catch up at to that catch point up. may it will have all been up um you can also um catch red rhino on itunes or stitcher we're on there and you can find us on red rhino pod on twitter and red rhino podcast on instagram and wine and comics on twitter nice and once again if you want to donate it's uh, www.patreon.com forward slash red rhino podcast michael thank you so much for being here once again yeah definitely it's been so amazing just hearing all of your journeys and everything that well, you've experienced you. through all of the years it's awesome as, as an actor in the room it's like i've taken a little bit 
quiet this time around <laughs> to let the writers chat a little bit. Yeah. The writers are here, friend. <laughs> yes. Well, well uh, I, I thank you for uh, uh, taking a chance on a guy randomly messaging you on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that. It. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, guys, uh, so as always, uh, we always end with a nice little slogan to kind of help keep people motivated through the week, which is keep up the hustle. Uh, so if you would love to say it with us, we'd like, we always like to end with that tagline. Sure. Yeah. Michael, are you ready? Oh, I am always ready. Guys, keep looking out to the future because that's where it all is, all right? <laughs> that's, a old, that's an old tagline for a radio show. You oh, nice. All right. Uh, so ready? One, two, three. Keep, keep up, up the, the hustle. hustle. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Megan Fitzmartin. It was incredibly insightful to hear about the world of a showrunner and their assistant. What are your big takeaways? What stood out to you? Please send us your thoughts and questions. Uh, if you're tuning in on Anchor, you can use their app to send us a voice message. We'll even include it in next week's episode as we react to it. Of course, written mes messages are gladly accepted, as well as any other kind of emails to Podcast at gmail.com. Now, once again, thanks to Brandon and his new collaboration, Vibe. As mentioned, you have the chance to win a Vibe t-shirt of your choice, and you have two ways to win. You can either leave us a review and comment on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or you can tag us in a tweet uh, at LA Hustlecast and official vibe, V-Y-B-E underscore, uh, and post about the show or the episode or Brandon and tag us in it. You'll be entered to win. We will be doing our, our drawing and picking a winner on April 30th. So you have one week. As always, you can reach out to us on social media. Our Instagram is Hollywood Hustle Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at LA Hustlecast. You can also follow us personally on both platforms. Michael is Michael Lutheran, and I am Daniel Tuttle, T U T T E L, on all platforms. You can follow Megan. She is Meg Fitz, that's M E G F I T Z 89, on both Twitter and IG. You can also follow her uh, uh, podcast, Red Rhino Podcast, at Red Rhino Podcast on IG and Red Rhino Pod on Twitter. And of course, you can find Red Rhino Podcast on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. I've said podcasts way too much. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer, and Michael Lutheran is our podcast editor. Now, join us next week, guys, because we we are putting out a very special episode. It's a Team Hustle episode. I'm really excited about it. Uh, Michael and I have been crazy busy, uh, and we haven't been able to really do a Team Hustle in a while. And so uh, I asked, I came up with an idea to do something simple, and it kind of carries on a series that we've already started in our previous season. So I'm excited to do it. Uh, we're going to be recording it soon, and it will be out hopefully next week. I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be a fun one. Yay, secrets. Until then, guys, have a great week. Keep up the hustle. Don't let everything get you down. We love you. We love you. We love you. And we believe in you and we support you. But always remember to keep up the hustle.